0: of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today in the Epistle and Gospel lesson, we have a quality check on our discipleship. A man comes to Christ's disciples and asks that he be healed. His son suffers from epilepsy, and he's often thrown into the fire and drowned in the water and he asked for healing and the disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus gets upset and says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And the apostles were a little dumbfounded. They didn't know, well, why couldn't we heal this? Why didn't it work? And then Paul says, what kind of disciple he is, and by implication, what kind of disciple we should be. And it's quite a litany of, uh, of not very favorable and flattering things. In fact, it sounds like a very difficult life. His whole attitude is that we are men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are ill-clad and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become and are now as the refuse of the world, the off-scouring of all things. I don't write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So what is the quality of our discipleship? What kind of disciples are we? Each week we celebrate the lives of the saints, people who have stood out in our midst, exemplary followers of Christ, who've shown us by their life what it means to follow Christ and to be a servant of Christ. And unless we know their life, it's kind of hard to relate to some of them. I often think when I don't know a saint's life, I think he must have been like Archbishop Demetrius, a wise and kind man. And if I were to be at the grave site of Archbishop Demetrius, I would have such love for this man who is a godly man of our church. So I have a little transference. Well, this mission trip to Alaska opened my eyes to Saint Innocent of Alaska. He has quite a remarkable history, and granted he has almost supernatural powers and gifts. But if we look at his life, we can see that it was really his desire to serve God, and his love for God, that helped him endure all kinds of difficulties, as St. Paul was talking about, and really became a shining light to the Americas. At age nine, he entered the Etrusque Theological Seminary, where he remained for 11 years, and he proved to be one of the most brilliant pupils of his time. He not only studied theology, but he read all the books he could get his hands on, including history, and science, which would prove beneficial later on in his ministry. He also learned how to work with his hands, so he was able to figure out how to make clocks. Not an easy thing, especially back in the early 19th century. But he also acquired the skills of carpentry, furniture making, blacksmithing, so he was a real Renaissance man. So, when he graduated seminary, he got married, he became a deacon, he was ordained to the priesthood at 24 years of age. Now in 19, 1823, the Bishop of Etrusk had been requested to send a priest to Alaska. Now we said last week that St. Herman had gone before and he had found communities established through the Russian traders that had gone before them and set up communities and then Saint Herman went and was a missionary there. So now there was somewhat of an established community and they wanted to minister to these people. So they sent Saint Innocent, at the time he was Father John, and it took him 14 months traveling across Siberia and the Bering Sea to get to his place of ministry. 14 months to get upset over a 14-hour flight to Greece. Here it took him 14 months to get to his place. And when he got there, he found no house, no chapel. But he said, well, this is an opportunity. I'll teach the natives from the skills I've developed how to build. So he built a house for his family, and then they all together built a cathedral of the Ascension. And they did this within the first three years, so now they have a church. So he began to convert the natives to orthodoxy. He learned the Aleutic language, and he began to translate the scriptures into their language so that they could better understand uh, orthodoxy. He also invented from the Cyrillic alphabet an alphabet for them. So he was a man of languages, he was a theologian, he was a scientist, and he was a craftsman. But he used all this to serve the people, the Aleuts, to help them understand who God was, to really open up the kingdom of God for them. And if you've ever been to Alaska, and now I can say I have been, you know that it's not an easy place to live, especially in the winter. You don't get much sun. So after 10 years of being in this community, he left and he went to Sitka, where he found the, uh, how do you say this, Tlingit. Klingit. They say it with a K. It's Tlingit population. They were very antagonistic to their Russian overlords, but he learned their language and their culture. But these people really did not embrace him. They did not come to the faith. But he was patient and persistent. And then a smallpox epidemic hit the village. And he encouraged them to get vaccinated. And the ones that were vaccinated were saved. And now he had their attention. He gained their love and respect and ministered to them for Uh, another, another three years, but then he was recognized by the Synod. He flew, he didn't fly, he took boats back to Moscow to talk to the Synod of Bishops to try and get more priests to come to minister to the faithful in Alaska. He had six children and a wife that he left behind, And while he was away, he got word that his wife of 17 years had died. Um, It doesn't talk about how long a process of mourning and grief, but he was convinced by the bishop to become a monk and then to become a bishop. And so they sent him back. He had not even gotten to bury his wife, see his wife, but he went back to this community as a bishop, and now he established a Uh, seminary to train the local natives in theology and uh, he even found time to construct a clock with his own hands for the front of the cathedral. In 1850 he was elevated to the dignity of Archbishop and the, uh, the Archdiocese of Alaska was enlarged to include all of Asiatic Russia which was Alaska. Now he was getting old. He was teaching the new flock. He learned he learned more languages, um, and then he began as as he was getting older. Now he was in his 80s. He decided that he would he asked to retire, but they didn't let him retire. They made him a metropolitan. But by now he was practically blind. Um, he couldn't serve much anymore, but he did start an imperial mission society. So every, even up to his last breath, he was pushing people over the line, trying to get them to a relationship with Christ, using up every last little calorie in his body to help people understand and love God. Now, granted... Other things that he did while he was out there was he mapped the uh, cartography of the place. He sent back samples of local plant life and fish life. He was both a scientist, he was a craftsman, he was a theologian. So he really did a lot for the people of Alaska. And granted, most of us don't have those many talents, the talent with languages, the skill with carpentry, uh, the skill with different cultures and people. were not all like that. But that's not the point. The point is, God has given us each a talent. And he's asked us to manage it. So we ask again, what is the quality of our discipleship? The body of Christ needs every part of the body. Just because you're a finger doesn't mean you're not necessary. You add dexterity to the hand. It's a small thing, but without it, the body is less. And God designed it that way. He didn't put a quality hierarchy. He made a commitment hierarchy that every part of the body has to manage their life and their skill For the building up of the body and even the smallest part is necessary because without that small part the body is lacking. So when we hear about the life of St. Innocent we can say, well, he was a great man, he was a holy man, he did wonderful things. But that doesn't excuse us. Paul gives us an outline of what kind of attitude and disposition we're supposed to have. And from his point of view, living the Christian life is pretty tough. It can get rough at times. But he says, imitate me. Don't seek glory in life. Don't sit on your laurels. Ask God. How can I serve you? What can I do with the talent that you've given me? How can I contribute? And in that way, the body will be healthy. We're a small community here in Athens, Georgia, but it might as well be Alaska. How many people in Athens, Georgia, know about Orthodoxy? How many people know the treasure that we have? We come here each week We enjoy one another's company. We grow in our relationship with Christ. But this is a treasure that we have to understand and believe that all of Athens needs. Yesterday I was talking to my mom, telling her about my trip to Alaska. And and I said, we were visiting a village of 261 people. And they'd have about 15 people in church on a Sunday. And then I said, I live in Athens, Georgia. And I told her we had 100,000 people. And she thought, we had 100,000 people in the church. <laughs> she was really surprised. When I figured out the mistake that she'd made, I said, no, we're 40 families. But one day we will have 100,000. By God's grace. This is the day that we begin the fast for the falling asleep of the Virgin Mary. It's a very holy time during our liturgical calendar. It's kind of the third important, most important feast day of the uh, liturgical calendar. So as we prepare for this, we will be celebrating Paraclesis tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. It will be in the calendar. And then Thursday night we have uh, the Feast of the Holy Transfiguration. We'll have Vespers up in Marietta at 6.30, and then Friday morning we'll have Divine Liturgy here for the Feast at 9 o'clock in the morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of announcements. You'll see that the bulletin has a lot of handwriting on it, and that's because our computer died, so I had to use... The marked-up bulletin. Uh, in order to get some information to you, I do not- note that there is a covered dish luncheon today, and.